This episode is brought to you by Rev1. Rev1's mission is to help entrepreneurs build great companies. As you navigate the waters of business entrepreneurship, you don't have to go it alone. A strategic partnership with Rev1 connects innovators to the talent, customers, space, and funding you need when you need it. Get started with Rev1 Startup Studio by visiting rev1ventures.com to learn more. Again, the website is rev1ventures.com. Six One Four Startups Nation, welcome back to another episode of the Six One Four Startups Podcast. My name is Elio Harmon, your host, and I'm back in my favorite seat with a guest that has been a long time coming on the podcast, guys. You don't know what happens behind the scenes, but sometimes, as in life, things don't go as planned. But like true entrepreneurs, regardless of what was thrown at us, we still made this happen. I want to welcome my very special guest, Neil Weingert to the podcast. Neil, welcome to the show. Thank you. I am thrilled to be here. All right. Now, I don't quite remember how we connected. I think we connected somehow via email or social media. Um, but when I saw the work you were doing over at your company, Nonfiction, I wanted to have you on the show because that really resonated with me. I don't have a background in this, but I am an uh, enthusiast for all things sales, marketing, and branding. Now, the sales I have some of, but I love talking to marketing and brand folks. So thank you for agreeing to be on the show. I'm going to pick your brain a lot here today, and I think the audience is going to get a lot of value. Absolutely. I love talking about this stuff. I think it's really important, no matter where you are in the journey of your company or your startup, there's something that can apply to you. And uh, so I, I'm happy to share whatever wisdom I've gained over the years. Okay, cool, man. Wisdom from the School of Hard Knocks is best. But before we get into your background and you start dropping these knowledge bombs on us, we got to get to know you a little bit. I want to share, uh, if you don't mind sharing a little bit about your personal background and how you came to live in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, absolutely. I grew up in rural Ohio in, uh, in Amish country up in Wayne County, surrounded by the, the bucolic countryside fields on all sides of my house. Um, and I was uh, very lucky to have a great art teacher that led me down the path of art and design. I was, it's, the, it's sort of the traditional path to being a graphic designer. You start out drawing as a kid and you love that sort of stuff. And then you graduate to drawing Led Zeppelin logos on your notebooks and skate and BMX logos and stuff like that. And eventually you realize that um, people do that for a living and they created those things and it's a job. And, and my wonderful teacher introduced me to that as something that could be uh, a direction to head. And she showed me the visual communication design program at Kent State University. And I studied there in a, a very rigorous program and ate and drank and slept design and eventually got a great job at an agency in Columbus. And that's how I found my way down here. It was either head to Madison, Wisconsin, or come down to Columbus. And Columbus was a, a little bit closer to home for my wife and myself. So we came here and I spent five and a half years at that agency getting a really wonderful ad hoc master's degree in working with clients and creating brands. And, uh, and I've been here ever since for, I would say, probably 13 years at this point. And uh, it really feels like home now. Well, you know, not very many people find their way into a career that, is, uh, that was once a childhood passion. So it's great to have those teachers that point you in the right direction. Uh, and, and so I'm excited to be talking to somebody who is passionate about what they do day in and day out. In fact, might even be living their dream. So 
Um, we already talked about the fact that this started very, very early on um, for you, but what, what is the difference between somebody who is simply passionate about design and somebody who's able to really do branding and design as a professional? What have you found in your career that really took you from just being interested to being proficient? I think that uh, the answer to that question goes back to my upbringing and being surrounded by people who worked extremely hard and did their absolute best no matter what it was they were doing and no matter whether or not people saw the outcome of that work. And, uh, and I think it certainly feeds into the obsessive side of things for sure. Um, but I think it, that being proficient in something and, and really being passionate about something um, just comes down to a very personal interest. And for me, it is making things and paying attention to the details and crafting things, but then also helping other people create things. And so that's one of the things that I love about what I'm doing is we are creating things, creating design and creating the different pieces of branding and, and things that will help other people live their dreams to some extent. We had a, a client a while back we were in the middle of a project with them uh, and they're starting their own company. And about halfway through, we were showing them some work and they said, well, you're making our dreams like a reality here. And I think that's what is, is something that makes me passionate about it. Both that aspect of helping other people leap forward and, and create something new, but then also us just being able to practice our craft at a really high level um, and just create something from, from nothing. Um, and uh, and that's that's what makes us passionate about it. OK, awesome. man. And uh, like you said, design can really help someone's dream come true. I think this is especially important when, um, you know, you're going from idea to starting to put things on paper. I know a lot of entrepreneurs are very, very excited when they go through that process and maybe see they, they see their idea in a visual form. Right. So it's much like 614 Startups. That logo has a very, very special place in my heart because it was the first time something went from my head to actually existing in the real world. And so I, I do get the sentiment that you probably uh, often hear from your clients about this, helping them to live their dreams. So you get your master's degree with this agency, but at what point does the entrepreneurship bug bite you and you say, you know what, I want to start my own agency? In college. Uh, it, I've always known that I wanted to do this. As a student, I really admired the smaller design studios that were making really great work for really interesting clients. I was never particularly drawn to the really big corporate agencies that are working on uh, big, massive Super Bowl ads and things like that. It was always about these uh, these craftspeople that were practicing design and, and really doing it for the love of uh, really this this long tradition of designers that goes back and through the the mid-century and, and up to now as far as let's create a great idea for a company and then visualize that in, in the best possible way that's going to be timeless and, and, uh, and contemporary at the same time. And so these little studios always seem to be on the forefront of contemporary design and they shaped what design was and where it was going. Um, and then eventually the big corporate agencies sort of picked up on that. And then the, the smaller studios came up with new ideas and they were sort of always pushing things forward from um, a, an idea perspective, from a trend perspective. Um, and so starting a studio was something I always intended to do because I loved collaborating with a small group of people to do our best possible work. Um, 
And so the other aspect of it is that starting an agency is kind of about that word, about agency. And it's about having the ability to, to do things our way. Um, not that we are the, we, we don't know everything. I'll be the first to tell you that. And my, my team will be the first to tell you that. But we do think that there are ways that things should be done as far as taking care of your team and living a creative life in a way that is more balanced than might be traditionally in the bigger agency setting. Um, and having the, uh, being creative as a way of being and a way of living and then having the ability to choose the work we do within the context of obviously having a, a business that pays its bills. Um, so it was a combination of really wanting to do great work at a high level, um, but then also just having some agency in where we go with our careers. Yeah. And I mean, this show is primarily listened to by folks who are uh, founders or working in a startup or interested in starting their own business. My question, and this is more from an entrepreneurship side, uh, oftentimes when you uh, hear from people with a ton of experience running their own business, it's like uh, the technician. What was that book? Um, I forget the name of it right now, but he describes it as the technician versus the business owner, right? So if you see somebody else running a business, you're like, oh, that blah, blah, blah. I could probably do it better than them. But really what you are as a technician. So what are some skills out there for people who are thinking about taking the leap, whether that's from working inside an agency, uh, working within an agency and looking to start their agency? I want to drill down on those skills, right? The skills that do transition into a successful owner and the skills that you have to learn. What are yeah. some of those things that you think that are essential if somebody is out there thinking about making the leap that you made? I think for us, when we started our business as designers, so everybody on our team are designers, even our creative operations director has a design degree. We are all practitioners of this, this craft. We're all technicians. I like that, that description of the technician versus the business people. The first thing we had to learn was, oh, we're, we are actually are business people too. <laughs> You've got to run a business here. Um, and so I think that's sort of the, the balance. And I really appreciate my business partner, Jeff, the balance that he brings from a business perspective and the, the, the balance that I bring from just a passion for the design and the craft perspective, weighing those two sides and saying, yes, we must be profitable and we must stay in business and balancing that with being a technician at the highest level. So I think the first thing you've got to figure out, like it took me, it, we're five years into our company and I still have trouble sometimes thinking of myself as a business person or a co-founder of a startup, which we are. And so I think you've got to figure that out and then find some mentors or people uh, that can sort of be your ad hoc board of directors, whether you actually know them or whether you don't. People you admire, books you can read that they've written or talks they've given. and uh, take their advice, listen to them because they've figured it out before and, uh, and, and sort of build your own user's manual for whatever business it is that you're starting. And so I've got a, a handful of books that are on my desk and they've got writing in them and post-it notes in them. And it's all the things that you need to think about, uh, and, and put into practice. And, uh, and so it's everything from what processes do we need to, to put into place to make our internal processes more efficient to free up time to think more deeply about the creative work we're creating. Uh, what things do we need to measure from a business perspective, from a new business perspective, from a proposal or a project perspective to make sure that we are um, both putting ourselves out there and, and selling our work the right way, but then also um, managing our work the right way. 
I hope that answers your question. It's it's sort of yes. it, it's certainly one of those things where you're building the plane as you fly it. And, and if anybody tells you otherwise, I think they're either much smarter than me or, or lying because um, a, any business is sort of just uh, making it up as they go along to some extent. Yeah, man. And all these roles within businesses that were created is not just because people just wanted to create roles, right? These are all important components of making a business run. And when you're first getting started, you have to wear a lot of hats. But one of the best things you can do in a business, like you said, you have your co-founder, which is super important to have somebody else who may uh, have different strengths and you guys can work together and, and, and balance each other out. But then also in the people that you hire, hiring for specific skill sets that the business needs. That's uh, one of the things that I'm learning now uh, about building team, building systems, and all of these things are essential to running a business. And so for all of you out there who have a dream of starting a company, just know there's no running away from this work, right? Whatever you uh, have run away from for a very long time, when you go into business, you're probably going to have to face it. Uh, but I want to transition now to your area of expertise, uh, and you probably have a couple of different areas that you work on at your agency. But what I really wanted to talk to you today about is branding. I'm a brand enthusiast, okay? Uh, I admire brands that, that do the work. I admire brands that build community, and I admire brands that become iconic over time. So for the sake of this conversation, let's start with a definition. What is branding, and why is it important? I'm glad you had to ask that question because. If you ask five people, you will get five different answers and someone will say, hey, we need a brand. But what they really need is what they think they need or what they mean is they want a logo. And then you'll have other people who say we need a brand and, and what they are actually looking for is totally different. So for us, if we look at sort of the traditional, not technical, but, but accepted definition of branding within the profession, a brand is just who people think you are. It is the emotions and the perceptions around your company, around your service, around your product. Uh, it is your positioning and how people see you as different or or not. It is your messaging and what you say. It's the actions you take. It's your it's the way you answer your phone. It's the fun little bit of copy that you get when somebody submits a form on your website. Uh, it's just the entirety of the experience that people have when they interact with you. And so that's the brand. The other half of that is the identity which is your visuals, your design, your copywriting, all the tangible things, your logos, your colors, your type, your design system, your tone of voice. Uh, so if you think of Apple, the brand is think different. It's the imagination. It's the innovation. It's the way they position themselves around what you can create with the products, not just about how much RAM it has. And then the identity is the Apple logo. It's the unique tables that Johnny Ive designed that are in all of the Apple stores. It's that it's the iconic uh, iPod campaign with the silhouettes that are dancing. Um, it is the San Francisco font that is now on all of their devices. It's the user interface elements that have shifted and changed over time. Um, and so you need both of those things. The, the brand is really the, the flag of what you stand for, and the identity plants that flag and, and makes it tangible. Um, and so that's sort of an academic description of a brand. From my perspective, the way I describe it is it's just the intersection of meaning and identity and emotion. And you've got meaning and who you are and what that means to people. And then the emotions that you create in them when they hear the name of your product or your company. And then the identity is just how they recognize you. Um, and so having a great brand is about uh, having passion for what you do, connecting with the right people, having character and integrity about how you do it and being authentic and consistent in that. 
and then having meaning and, and absolutely, I think having beauty around those things and making what you do beautiful and presenting it in a way that is aesthetic and, uh, and, and means something to people. And, um, so creating a brand is about then defining who you are, what your impact is and where you're going, and then making sure you're communicating that to the world in a really simple and smart and surprising way. This yeah, man, Neil, you're, you're taking us to school. So guys, you're listening to the podcast. This man is about to pour on some knowledge on us. So we're going to take a break in that break. You need to go grab a pen, piece of paper and come back because we're going to dive deep into the world of branding for startups. We'll be right back after these messages. Support for the 614 Startups podcast comes from Nationwide. Nationwide's mission is to protect people, businesses, and futures with extraordinary care. To help fulfill that mission, Nationwide is looking to invest its $350 million venture capital investment fund in InsureTechs that will help them create new and exciting products and solutions to meet the needs of their customers. If you're interested in partnering with Nationwide's venture capital team, visit nationwideventures.com to learn more. Again, the website is nationwideventures.com. Nationwide is on your side. Today's episode is sponsored by the City of Dublin's Division of Economic Development. The City of Dublin provides world-class tailored business services and resources to ensure the best possible environment for businesses to recruit talent and thrive. Because of this strategic focus and commitment to employer growth, Dublin is the only accredited economic development organization in the state of Ohio. The City of Dublin supports startups and entrepreneurs by offering targeted resources and training programs to grow companies that are financially sustainable innovative, and committed to creating jobs. Learn how other businesses depend on Dublin. Visit thriveindublinohio.com. 614 Startups Nation, welcome back from the break. My name is Elio Harmon, your host. I'm here with Neil Weingard. Am I saying your last name right? It's close enough. We get Weingard, <laughs> Weingard, Wengard. It's, it's, and sometimes I even pronounce it differently. It's, uh, it's all over the place, but it's fine. You're it's, good. It's all good, man. So it's Neil, don't forget the brand, all right, with nonfiction. That part we can get right. Um, but we're, we're going to revisit and we're going to continue to dig into branding. Um, I want to ask you this question, and then you could elaborate from there. What are the key components? So you already described the visual aspect, the identity aspect of it, which I didn't even think to differentiate the two. But what are all of the components of branding? when I'm just starting a company? Yeah, I think for us, it is both a left brain and a right brain thing. You need to have strategy and you need to have design. Um, and on the left brain side, it is really for a startup. Uh, if, so if we're thinking an early stage startup or even, uh, even to the Series A level, that sort of startup or any sort of company that is, uh, is fairly new or hasn't done this before, it's about three things. Purpose, positioning, and personality. Three Ps, easy to remember. So your purpose, and that's a buzzword, and a lot of brands try to say, wow, we're, our, whole, our whole positioning is about our purpose. That's not, I think, the right way to do it because uh, a purpose shouldn't be something that you're doing for uh, marketing reasons or sales reasons. It should be why you're doing this in the first place. It is about creating a rallying point for you and for your team um, not necessarily something that for people to care about externally. It could be, 
but it is about the mark that you're going to make on the world. So for example, if you take a company like Square, their purpose is to make commerce easy. Um, or if you look at Nike, their purpose is to inspire every athlete. And oh, by the way, if you have a body, you are an athlete. So it is about inspiring to people, inspiring people to be their best self. Um, the second bit, positioning, is just about telling people what you do, for whom you do it, and why you're distinct and different. You can't be everything to everyone, so you really need to define who you are and be great at that. And if you don't position yourself, your customers will do it for you. Um, an example of some really good positioning is Nest thermostats. So thermostat, super boring, sits on the wall, doesn't do anything. It's either too hot or too cold, depending on who you are. Um, and they were they were dumb. They weren't smart. What Nest did was add the word learning to thermostat, and that gets into category creation, which is a whole other conversation for a, a different podcast, maybe. But they added learning to the word thermostat, and you get what they do now. They've positioned themselves against everybody else. And, uh, I, mean, and I understand exactly what you're saying. <laughs> um, <laughs> another example of that is Gmail. So for Google users who get a ton of mail, Gmail lets you search rather than sort. And unlike other email providers, you get a ton of storage, so you never have to delete a message again. That's how they position themselves. And that stayed true no matter the size of storage and, and features and all this sort of thing. So there's this, at its most base level, there's this 4X, we're Y, and unlike Z, we do this. That sort of framework for your positioning, that equation. Um, and then the last bit, personality, is really the transition from the left to the right brain. Your personality is how you sound and how you tell people about what you do. Uh, it's the bridge between the creative and the strategic. And it just depends on who you are. And it should be true to you. Are you smart and witty like The Economist? Or are you really snarky and irreverent like Cards Against Humanity? That comes from your strategy. It comes from your positioning. It comes from who you are there for. Um, and it should be authentic to you. So our company, Nonfiction, is about relationships and collaboration and craftsmanship. And so we have a very conversational tone and we're honest with people and we, we tell them if we think they're doing the wrong thing and, and all of that sort of stuff. So your personality shines through in that. So you got left brain, purpose, positioning, and personality. And on the creative side, it's logo. You've got to have a logo. It's really your signature. You've got to have colors. You've got to have a typeface or two uh, or font, getting jargony. Um, a visual palette, maybe patterns or graphic elements, things like that. And you've got to use them consistently. So at the level where you're just creating sort of a minimum viable brand, those are your components. You got to keep them simple. They need to be smart. They need to match the strategy and the, the creative output. Those go hand in hand. Um, and uh, and that's, that's sort of the basic components of it. So just by the time spent on each of those areas, strategy first right yes because i think a lot of people think identity or what it's going to look like first and there are a lot more things that go into it and, and and another way of asking the what why is it important question may be the negative version of that question which is what does it look like when companies get this wrong yeah so i i think there's a a framework of up in the left corner you're a company that is big and special. You're Apple. That's a great place to be. Up in the right corner, you're a company that's big and not special. You are tied detergent, and it doesn't matter you're not special because people are going to buy it anyway. And at the bottom, you can be small and special, which means you have done a great job of positioning yourself and you have a, 
a beautiful visual identity that is supported by positioning and it all works together. And that's where you want to be. But then if you are over there and you're small and not special, if you get that wrong, then nobody's going to listen to you. Nobody's going to pay attention to you. Nobody's going to trust you or, or take you seriously. And that's where you don't want to be. And so, you know, at, at its base level, people unfortunately will judge a book by its cover. And if you've take charge of your brand, you walk into a meeting with confidence about who you are and how you sound and how you're presenting yourself, that's hugely valuable. And that can deliver all those things. And if you don't do that, you know, the, the cost is what if your competitors are and you're not. So it's, there's a lot of ways you can look at why that's important and, and the, the downsides of not doing it. But it's really about there are too many startups and too many companies to not be special and take it seriously because somebody else will. And, you know, you hear this in, in startup lingo or lore all the time about how many perfectly working, better than the competitor products that died. Yeah. And it's because those founders focused, not saying it's not important, they focused almost to a fault with the product and not necessarily with the brand. Uh, and there's so much forgiveness in the marketplace for um, product. I, don't, I, w I wouldn't even call them failures when you're talking about startups, but when things, don't, when things break as they naturally do as you're building something new, there's a lot more forgiveness, I think, in the market than a lot of founders uh, allow for. Like 614 Startups, we mess up all the time. But for the most part, the brand and, and the promise of value which is we help tell founder stories, our audience is willing to forgive, right? And I think that's one of the things that's very, very important about having that purpose that resonates with the audience that you're looking to talk to. Another thing that's you know, super buzzy, almost to the point of becoming cliche, is the issue of your vision, mission, understanding who your customers are and culture. How do those things influence a brand? Well, they're buzzy, but I think they're buzzy for a reason. I don't think you can really have a brand without understanding your vision or mission. Um, and, and you know, if you think about, uh, let's say, Microsoft's vision when they started, their vision was a computer on every desk in every home. Like, that's something that people can rally around. That's a tangible thing. And that is not, well, we're going to meet uh, $500,000 in sales this quarter. It is, nope, we're working towards a computer on every desk in every home. Everybody can visualize that. That's why it's called a vision. You've got to have something you can like see in your head. Um, and if you don't know what you stand for, how will your brand possibly communicate who you are and why will people care? If you don't know that, why will, how will other people possibly know? So I think that's why you, you've got to at least have an inkling of what your vision and your mission are to begin with. When it comes to your customers, you have a brand whether you like it or not, because you are out there, the customers are having an experience with your company or your product. Um, and so your brand exists. It's up to you whether or not you take charge of shaping it. But you should figure out what their current perception is. You should listen to them and how they see you and then figure out, does that align with what we want our perception to be and where we're going? And if it doesn't, then you've got to figure out how to get your brand to align with those things or figure out how to change your product or your experience to match with the way that people see you. And the same goes for your culture, because if your brand doesn't match your culture, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance. You know, if you are a, a brand that says, we really value um, feedback from our customers and we take everything seriously, but then internally, 
you don't care what your employees say and you're not listening and you're just doing whatever you want and treating people poorly, like there's a disconnect there between your brand. So it's got to be both an internal and an ex external experience. And so you mentioned buzzwords. I think it, it comes down to another buzzword of authenticity. And it's about being authentic to who you are, because that will resonate with some people, maybe not with everybody, but that's good because if everyone likes you, no one loves you. And you really need to have people that love you. And, and those are the people that you are there for and they are there for you. Do you think that sometimes we overcomplicate this? Because when you explain it like that, it sounds really simple. But when you try to sit down and work your way through this, so, you know, I'm sure there are startups out there, founders out there right now scratching their heads like, Neil, you're making this sound so easy. When I went to Agency X and we sat down for that strategy session, it almost made me cry because there's a lot of exploration that's involved in narrowing down that we want a computer on every desk. It's because probably you're trying to impress somebody with your vision, right? Rather than just saying, at 614 Startups, we help tell founder story, yep. right? If we were just that true to what we do and then everything was about storytelling and figuring that out and it came through in our brand, we would be safe. Well, why do we tend to overcomplicate some of these things? Because it is complicated. First of all, it, it, starting a business is complicated. Um, and especially when you're a new business and you're trying to just survive, there's a lot of shiny objects and directions to go. And it's really easy to lose track of why you started it in the first place. That has happened to us. We've sort of said, oh, let's go down this path and do this thing. And we realize, wait a minute. Nope, that's not what we do best. It's not what we love doing. We're going to focus on this thing and really position ourselves around brand and identity. Um, and so I, I think it is complicated. I think the other reason it's, it's hard and complicated is that when you're a new business and if you have co-founders or a small team, it's, you are so focused on running your business, it's difficult to sit down in a room and figure that out. And so I think the value in having um, a brand studio or a team like that come in and work with you from the outside is you get everybody in a room for the specific purpose of defining these things. And once you define it, you've got somebody who can listen to you and take all the ideas in the room and say, what I'm hearing is this, and it really boils down to this, and, and pull something out that you may never, never have thought of, but connects all of these threads in one key way. Uh, and so it is complicated, but it's also a fun puzzle to figure out. And once you figure it out and once it clicks, um, I wouldn't say it gets simple, but things flow from there. And now that we talked a little bit about what the risks are of getting this wrong, um, for those who are committed to eventually getting it right, what are some things that trip people up? What yeah. are those mistakes that entrepreneurs are making when it comes to branding their business? Yeah, I, I think there's two main things. Number one is being a bad first date or a bad blind date. And by that, I mean, you spend all of your time talking about yourself and no time talking about your customers. Um, it's like going on a first date and spending all of your time talking about your dog and how cool you are and your cool rock climbing hobby and your art collection or whatever, and not actually taking any interest in the, the person you're there to meet. Um, you've got to talk about what's in it for them. You've got to translate what you do, the benefits of your product to your customers. So for example, you've got a product that makes scheduling meetings easier. You've got to make sure you're talking about the time your customers will save by using this product and not having a million emails flying back and forth about should we meet at one or two on the sixth um, and spend less time talking about, well, the interface does this and the button's here. And so the technical things are this and that. But you've got to talk about how the product works, of course, but don't 
lead with that. Lead with what your customer is going to get out of it and the benefits to them, and then spend some time talking about the attributes. So that's the first mistake. Put yourself in your customer's shoes, figure out what they want and what they need, and give it to them in those terms. And the second mistake is people just not taking risks with their brands. I think a lot of times people think they want to take risks, but what they really want to do is fit in and feel like the rest of their sector or their industry and not necessarily stand out. Um, so remember that small and not special company we talked about? No, because nobody remembers them because they didn't take a risk to stand out. Um, you've got to be bold. You've got to have a brand with personality and maybe even some whimsy and some fun. Um, we've had years of these startups sort of going with a sans serif font and some pastel colors and everybody looking the same. And I, I see the trend shifting, which is great, but uh, you've got to do whatever is true for you. And the whole point of having a brand is to be distinct. That's where the word brand comes from. It's farmers saying, well, this is my cow and that's your cow. So we're going to put a brand on it. And you tell the difference very easily. Um, stop trying to follow what other people are doing and just take a risk with who you are, rooted in strategy, of course, but do something different. And that's how you're going to get noticed. Yeah, man. And um... Yeah. Listen, I, I, I debate this all the time. Shiny, shiny object syndrome is real. And when you say take risks, I don't know the difference. between What do you exactly mean by take risk? Right. Because yeah. one of the things you have to be mindful of is that your risk needs to be in line with your brand. Right. So, yes. so what is risk for Nike? is signing Colin Kaepernick when NFL fans are going crazy. It is the Nike thing to do, right? Um, but Bud Light, again, they're trying to say it's two people in some department that had um, an endorsement with someone who's trans, and I don't know all the details, so I don't want to go too deeply into that. But for them, what could be perceived as a risk backfired because maybe their customer says, no, you're not allowed to do that. What do you mean by yeah. this word risk? And then how does a brand ensure that the risk that they're taking is within their brand? It's a good question. And you've, when I say take risks here, what I mean is really those foundational core elements. Um, be bold with your design. Be bold with the way you present yourself. Have an interesting tone of voice. Cards Against Humanity is taking a risk with their very NSFW approach to how they put their product out there. But it's true to who they are, and it's an interesting product. And so uh, the risks need to be calculated. I suppose I should have said that first. Um, and, you know, I don't want to wade into the Budweiser, Bud Light debate, but that sounds like it may not have been an entirely calculated risk. I think it was a risk worth taking, for sure. But um, when I say take a risk, I mean, don't look at what everybody else is doing and create something that's comfortable and, and safe. Create something that really stands out. And, uh, and when you put yourself up to uh, four different companies and they're all squares, you look like a triangle. I got it. I got it. I, and, I, and I get what you're saying, especially when you said the sans serif font and everybody looks the same. And everybody is like a quirky name, like it's a misspelling of a word, right? Yeah. It's like uh, analyst, but it's missing certain letters. And that's 
the innovation when it yeah. comes to brand. Whereas the most important thing is, did you really think take the time to think about what your brand stood for, what your purpose is, what yeah. your mission is, and, and that being the more important thing and not just a cool way of spelling your name. All right. Looking out there as you look at brands, I get these occasional emails. I know they're spam. But they say, hey, looking at your website, we just ran this 50-point checklist and your website <laughs> sucks in these 50 ways. As a brand guy, I'm sure you can't help but look at brands and be like, damn, right? Ah, oh, I can help you with that, right? So what are some things, what are some signs that trigger you and say, yeah, it's about time for a rebrand for a company? Yeah, I mean, the the simplest way to, to say that is your current brand just doesn't reflect who you are anymore or you never had one to begin with. But at a certain point, you will realize that you've changed, you've grown, you've matured, you've outgrown aspects of your brand, whether that's your logo, your tone of voice, or even your strategy or your positioning to some extent, or things aren't functional. You take a look at all of your materials and they're wildly inconsistent. Um, those are all sort of symptoms of it, it might be time to think about this sort of thing. Um, and I think it's also important to think about that uh, rebrand can mean various things. You can truly rebrand, which means you could come up with a new name and a new brand strategy and a new identity. Or you can just refresh your brand, keep your name, sharpen your strategy up a little bit and really improve your identity and things like that. So we've done this. We've done all of these things. We We did this for a company called Haystack, uh, which is an arts company. And they came to us with a name, Joseph Editions. It wasn't true to who they were anymore. It didn't fit. It meant something very personal to the founder, but it didn't quite do what it needed to do for the company. And so we truly rebranded them. And, and the, the way that they were putting themselves out there was a bit dull. It fit in with the rest of the art world uh, as far as the contemporary art print sellers that they were competing with. And so we changed their name. We redid their identity system. We redid their website and put them out there in a way that's totally different from what they had. Um, another example uh, of, of not doing all of that would be um, we just worked with a, a company called Pocus, which is a, a Series A SaaS startup. They're based out on the West Coast. And um, they kept their name. They kept their logo. They sharpened their strategy. And then from a visual perspective, really only on the website, we went through that and made them much more, uh, I guess, just to say it frankly, like ready for prime time. They were a startup. They had grown to a certain point. They had sort of a closed product where you could be invited to use it. But now they were launching their product to the general public. Anybody that wanted to sign up could do it. And they were targeting an enterprise audience. And the way they had their site positioned and the way they were presenting themselves didn't really match that. They felt a little uh, bolted together in places. All right, Neil, uh, I know our listeners have been taking notes. Uh, they've been thinking about their three Ps and they, they probably pulled up their website, looked at it, pulled out some collateral and like looked at it. And it's like, man, maybe it's time, right? Uh, but after we come back from the break, we're going to talk about the process of evaluating uh, outside agency and what are some things to think about when you do that because that's also an important uh, uh, decision who do you trust your brand with all right folks you've been listening to my conversation with neil w i'm not going to try that last name again <laughs> of nonfiction. we're going to brand you as neil w okay everybody can say that 
Uh, and we're going to continue our conversation after uh, these few messages from our sponsors. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by KJK. Tired of the billable hour? KJK has a solution. The KJK GC Advantage program offers businesses comprehensive legal services in the areas of employment, corporate services, real estate, trademark, intellectual property, and estate planning, all for a set monthly fee. KJK serves as their clients' partners in business, not just their lawyers. Along with cost certainty and predictability, the KJK GC Advantage program gives clients peace of mind, knowing their projects will be handled quickly and efficiently, maximizing the return on investment on their legal spend. So don't go it alone. Let KJK help. Learn more by visiting KJK.com. 614 Startups Nation, thank you so much for coming back from our second break. You guys are the real troopers, so you're going to get the real value. All right, Neil, we're going to wrap this thing up with just a couple of questions. Somebody out there wants to rebrand or maybe branding for the first time. What are some things founders or people running brands or businesses need to think about before bringing in a, a branding and design firm? Number one is, are they experts? And for real experts, I think it's tempting to go and, and see a, a full service agency and say, well, they do all of these things. Um, but when I hear that, I hear that they're kind of not great at anything. They're good at a lot of things, but not great at anything. So hire an expert, even if that means you hire a design studio and then an SEO specialist and a PR person and a digital marketing professional, you're going to get better results from a team of specialists than you get from one group of generalists. So that's the first thing to consider. The second thing is you've got to like them. You're going to spend a lot of time together on some very important things, making some big decisions uh, about things that can be very personal to you uh, and, and important to your company. So it's important that you like and trust them because uh, at least for us, that trust is critical because we're going to recommend things that will be right for what our clients need. And they might personally be like, well, I don't really like blue, but if blue's really the right direction, they've got to trust us to, to go that way. So you've got to be prepared to take their advice. I would say one thing not to necessarily worry about is if they've done X project for Y sector before. Um, it's okay to go to somebody if you are a restaurant and they've never done restaurant work before. Sometimes that's good. There's a documentary about, um, a game called Go, and there was a computer program written called AlphaGo. It's it's like chess, but not at all like chess. It's the, the most complex game, board game there is. And they created this computer program to play Go. They were playing this grandmaster, and it made a move that nobody had ever seen before. And the grandmaster got up and left the table and eventually came back. And uh, the computer won the game, and the grandmaster retired because... The game knew the rule, the computer knew the rules, but it played the game in a totally different way. And so I think that's the value of working with somebody that has that is new to your your sector, your industry, your your type of company. They can learn the rules that maybe play that game in a totally different way and come up with something unexpected. So I would say those those two things, are they experts and do you like them? And then don't worry so much. Like if you get those first two things, don't worry so much if they've done your specific thing before. Yeah, great advice. Um, and, and, and choosing, it's, it's like all things that are worth the investment. Uh, oftentimes, price is a big driver in decisions like this. I see it with people's legal choices. I see it with 
and, and I'm guilty of this, people's accounting cho choices. <laughs> but there's something to be said for paying the expert rate. Won't get too bogged down into that, but just add that to your list of considerations to make yeah. as you're shopping around. And, and that's not always a guarantee of a good product too, right? So, um, but, but, you know, trust your references, go through the process and do your own due diligence. All right. Now, let's say you decide to sign up on dotted line. Price makes sense. You found somebody that you really want to build a relationship with. What can they expect when they're engaging with a firm like nonfiction from discovery to onboarding yep. and then from that whole strategy process to a finished product? Yeah, well, we start by asking questions. Um, asking what if is sort of a big part of what we do. Um, what's your business model? Where do you want to be in two or three or five years? What are the critical success factors for your business and what results do you want to achieve? Um, it is critical that we all understand what the work that we're going to do is going to do for your business. In addition to creating some wonderfully exciting creative work, that's like a great part of the process, but it, we're there to solve a business challenge and to do a, a business thing and to move your business forward. Um, so that's the first thing. Is, and we also want to know why they are personally excited about what they're doing. They need to be passionate about it too. Um, so once we figure out those things, we've got a, a few key phrase, phases that will scale up or down in scope, depending on what the engagement calls for. Um, it's some discovery, there's some strategy, there's a creative concept phase, and then implementation. Um, so the discovery, is about really immersing ourselves in what they do and what their company does and what their competitors do um, to become creative advocates to create something that stands out. And we're super curious. We are able to hear things that get lost in the everyday noise of an organization. Like I said, we can come to the table and get people together that may have never had this conversation before and have that. Um, we go into the strategy phase and start to merge that rational and the emotional things together we move into concepts and create things that are, are going to experiment and push the boundaries of what's been done. And, and I think crit critically collaborate through that whole process and show our work and show how we got there. It's like in grade school math, you got to show your work. Um, we don't want to just pull the, the sheet off at the end, like Don Draper and Mad Men and say, here you go. We hope you like it. We want to bring everybody along for that bit because a good idea can come from anywhere. And we want to make sure the good ideas are there. And then from there, we, we follow through and implement on, on those ideas and make it real um, and guide through that process. So the design, the message, and the medium come together in all the right ways. And that is really about the craftsmanship of it. Um, and that, those three things, uh, how we work, I think is important is what we make. So the curiosity of it, the collaboration of it, and the, the craftsmanship of it are core to that process. And that prevents the whole like, well, this worked in the past from becoming the that's how it's always been done. Like this worked in the past doesn't mean it has to be how it's always been done. So that curiosity and that collaboration is a big part of it. And then the craftsmanship, making all of all aspects of it good, whether they're visible or invisible code or front end, major or minor detail. That's a huge part of what we do. And we take a lot of pride in that too. Yeah, man. Awesome, Neil. So if people want to engage with your content or they want to engage with nonfiction, they want to do a consultation with you, they want to pick your brain. How do people get a hold of you and nonfiction? They can see us and our work and a little bit about our team and our process at madebynonfiction.com. And uh, you can follow me on LinkedIn. You can follow nonfiction on LinkedIn. 
and uh, and also follow nonfiction on Instagram. Those are probably the three best ways to uh, to keep up with what we're doing. I gotta say, man, uh, after we connected by email and um, on social media, the one project that really put me over the top that you know I, I have absolute respect for you and the work that your team does over at nonfiction is the work that you did for Haystack. I think that project is, it, it, you guys got to see it. So check out the website <laughs> madebynonfiction.com and you'll see what I'm talking about. Okay, so I got to give these folks my final word. And we were looking for the definition of risk. And I think when you were describing AlphaGo's approach to playing, I think for me, that really resonated with me. And I'm, I'm going to steal that as my definition of risk, which is know the rules, but play the game differently. Yes know the rules, but play the game differently. Isn't that entrepreneurship in a shell? How do you innovate? It's to know the rules, but to do things a little differently. All right, folks, this is another episode of the 614 Startups. Of course, this is Columbus's biggest podcast platform where founders come to tell their story. Neil, thank you for being on the show. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right. And to all our listeners out there, until next time, Peace. That's a wrap, folks. You can find this in all our episodes on our website, 614startups.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and all your favorite podcasting platforms. Don't forget to subscribe and write a review. If you'd like updates sent directly to your inbox, you can sign up for our weekly newsletter on the website. To engage in the 614 Startups community, follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at 614 Startups on all platforms and join the conversation. For sponsorship opportunities and collaborations, email us at info at 614startups.com.